welcome to Way Too Seriously, the podcast where we watch kids' movies and then take them way too seriously. I'm Paul Moffat. I'm Jan Moffat. And this week we watched and we'll be talking about Toy Story. Jan, do you want to tell us a bit about this movie? Toy Story is a 1995 Pixar movie. It was directed by John Lasseter. It was written by one Joss Whedon, Joel Cohen, Andrew Stanton, and Alec Sokolow, with a story by John Lasseter and Pete Dechter. It stars the voices of Tom Hanks, Tim Allen, Don Rickles, Jim Varney, Wallace Shawn, John Ratzenberger, Annie Potts, among others. This is Pixar's first animated feature. Would you like to tell us a little bit about the plot of Toy Story, Paul? Woody is a cowboy toy who lives in the room of imaginative child Andy. When Andy gets a new fancy Buzz Lightyear toy for his birthday, Woody feels inferior and replaced and inspired partly by jealousy, accidentally knocks Buzz out the window and into danger. Woody and Buzz have a series of adventures that eventually lead them back to Andy's room, having discovered a new appreciation for each other. That's the story of Buzz Lightyear. Of, I mean, Toy Toy Story. Story. Buzz Lightyear, the Buzz Lightyear movie. What are you talking about? It's the Woody movie. Oh, yeah. (laughs) So... Uh, many years ago, we did a, we did a podcast on Toy Story Two. <laughs> it wasn't many years ago. Okay, uh, a while ago. <laughs> yeah, we did. I think it was before we, you know, when we were still very much on our early legs of this podcast. I believe, if I recall correctly, that we recorded that Toy Story Two episode and didn't release it for like months. It was still when we were recording episodes and not even releasing them as kind of a trial of concept. Yeah. I'm not, even, I'm not even sure we had our rating system back then. Yeah, I think listen back to it if you feel like it. Uh, we have everything way more codified now. Yes, we sure do. So we might repeat some of the things we said back then because it's uh, been a while. Yeah, I can't really remember anything we said in Toy Story 2. But here we are finally, and I guess we'll probably do Toy Story 3, if not next, soon. Soon. I hope. I'd like to watch it again. I'd like to put the three Toy Stories to bed, right? Right. We are at the mercy of our children and have realized recently that uh, as our children grow older, our definition of what's a kid's movie is uh, tricky. Like, for example, last week we watched Empire Strikes Back and we couldn't really podcast about that. Yeah, because it is not really a kid's movie. Like, we watched the Harry Potter and we stretched the definition a little bit, Uh, I think... But Empire Strikes Back is just a little too far. Did you just call it the Harry Potter? The Harry Potter movies <laughs> is what we I watched, meant. We watched if, the Harry Potters. If I said the Harry Potter, it's because I stopped in the middle of my sentence. What I meant was we watched the Harry Potter movies, the first three. Well, let's talk about the Toy Story. <laughs> let's talk about the Toy Story. Objectively, how is Toy Story? I want to, before we... Get too much into objectively. Like, I'm going to start by saying uh, about writing. Mm -hmm. I'm going to go on a slight tangent because I think the writing of this movie is really good. Mm -hmm. The plot, the uh, script, it's funny, it's interesting. There are callbacks and it's all very uh, nicely made. 
I knew that Joss Whedon was a writer of this movie. I had forgotten, like when this movie started, Joss Whedon's name came up and I said, oh yeah, Joss Whedon wrote Mm -hmm. Toy Story. Uh, I didn't know that Joel Cohen wrote Toy Story. That was the surprising one to me this time around. As in the Cohen brothers. Yeah. One of the Cohen brothers, the the good looking one. What? No, I don't know. I can't. I don't know which one's which at all. They're interchangeable. <laughs> so, in my own little mind. Uh, yeah, that was weird. That yeah. Joel Cohen wrote this movie. We've had a few movies lately that have had like a handful of writers. And we usually, I usually assume that, you know, the more writers, the worse. But I don't feel like this movie has suffered from having four writers. And possibly that's because two of those four are have like major chops. And Joss Whedon is known for, or I mean, he's known for lots of things now. Back then he was definitely a, like a script doctor. He would add the jokes, add the extra yeah. things. And so I'm, I can tell the kind of, because I know Joss Whedon so well, what jokes would be his in this. Can you name right now, if I put you on the spot, can you name something that you think is a Joss Whedon joke? I think some of the innuendos Mm. would be Joss Whedon jokes. Yeah. I feel like, uh, I'm like, who knows? I don't know at all. I kind of feel like the... uh, You are a sad, strange little man, and you have my pity. Farewell. Sounds a little bit Firefly. But it also sounds a little bit Cohen Brothers. Yeah, that is, that's the tricky thing is that's also very Joel Cohen. I think, so I think actually I, if I was going to place bets, I would say that that line is a Joel Cohen edition. But who knows? This is pointless to uh, speculate. And yeah. the real point, aside from this tangent that I was getting at is, I think this is a really well-written movie. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. It genuinely made me laugh at multiple points. It's. Like, people have motivations that are uh, plausible. There are some plot holes, some things that we have to blink. But on the whole, I think it's well-structured and well-written movie. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I think uh, the voice acting. I mean, Tom Hanks and and uh, Tim Allen knock it out of the park in this movie. Agreed. Like, they have so much chemistry on screen, or, like, vocal chemistry. I don't even know what kind of chemistry. <laughs> vocal chemistry. <laughs> chemistry as actors working together. I assume they were in the same room. Because it, of, it sounds like they're bouncing off each other. Exactly, yeah. just because of that. I haven't seen a lot of behind-the-scenes thing, but I'd be surprised if they weren't in the same room. There's just a lot of energy this yeah. movie has so much energy and the the voice work is what is what really puts that over the edge. And that really is like everyone is doing a great job, but it's Tom Hanks and Tim Allen are the like they both are bringing so much energy to this movie, especially Tom Hanks, I think. Yeah. And when you have character actors like Wallace Shawn and John Ratzenberger bringing their own energy and that's really complemented by the leads. Agreed. I think everyone is doing a really great job in this movie. Like, excellent. Yep. All the supporting cast also. Mm-hmm. We're still in highlights. I would say um, the animation also, like Pixar. I, w- I was saying 
earlier, and I want to say again on mic that like, remember that this is Pixar's first full length movie and that Pixar being who Pixar is now is on the strength of this movie, really. Yeah, absolutely. They did the shorts that were well received and are great, but like this was the movie that made them Pixar. And you watch it again now and you think like, yep, I can see it. Uh, the animation technology is not up to the par that it is now. Not really even close. But it still is really good just in terms of the craft behind it. I remember going to this movie in the theater and the little Disney logo that's at the beginning of all the movies that I'd seen growing up was this little two-dimensional castle, very flat, very little Walt Disney at the bottom, and coming to this one, and suddenly the castle was in 3D. There was this beautiful, like, actual little castle with Disney underneath it. And, like, I feel like I didn't realize it was a castle until that moment. <laughs> and that was just like, whoa. This is the coolest thing ever. And this was all made by computers. And it was, you know, it was like 94. I had, you know, Windows 3.1 at home. Like, it was (laughs) amazing that this could be made on computers back then. And Pixar has just grown in leaps and bounds since then to be just beautiful things that they've made. And... And I remember seeing this movie in theaters and I came out thinking like, it was like they were real toys that were alive. Yeah, especially because so much, like, part of what makes this movie so cool is the background things are actual toys. Like, there's a box that's mousetrap on the on the shelf. There's yep. all, all of these toys, like, having, like, the Mr. Potato Head and the Slinky Dog and the, like... The speak and spell thing. Like, these are literal toys that I had in my house. And it's very clever, by the way, that the technological limitation was largely built around textures. Like, they couldn't make convincing textures at the time. Mm -hmm. It's very clever to do Toy Story where they're all plastic toys. And so they look like the texture is this plastic texture that's appropriate. Exactly. Uh, And aside from, like, even the technological achievement... Just the design. This mm-hmm. is good looking, really good looking, well thought out. Everything is designed so well, partly because they're grounded in real world toys. But the ones that aren't like Woody and Buzz are both so well conceived, so well designed. The look of the movie is great. Yep, definitely. We didn't talk about m- music. Oh, Randy Newman. You've got a friend in me is a like standout of this movie yeah i think the other songs are okay but you've got a friend in me is is great it's a great song yeah agreed are there any in your mind lowlights in terms of the quality of this movie i don't know i can't think of any off the top of my head what about you i can give some very very nitpicky things that seem petty um like the Toys all look great, the humans don't look so great, and they kind of have a glassy-eyed, creepy look. Yes, definitely. Uh, Or, like, the writing is good, except they play kind of fast and loose with the rules of, uh, you know, physics and logic sometimes. So that, why does, how do they suddenly, like, 
Buzz is taped to this firework, and then he suddenly isn't anymore. Why? Because it was necessary for the plot that he wouldn't be. Mm, he opens up his wings and that cuts it his, off. The wings cut through duct tape? Yeah, somehow. Magically. <laughs> yeah, that's and, a like, good point. And, like, the remote-controlled car is fast enough to catch up to a Yeah, to car. a real car. Yeah. And, like, there's a turbo that he didn't have until it was plot necessary that he needed. Like, those are all very, very nitpicky. But I have a few nitpicks of that sort. And, like, the idea that Buzz doesn't know he's a toy, but yet knows how to not act alive when he, when Andy's playing with him or when any human is looking at him. That, so he's like, is it involuntary? Mm-hmm. But then somehow it's not involuntary when they defeat Sid. Yeah. And if you didn't have the plot hinging on them all talking in front of Sid, then it would be easy to be like, well, he, you know, they don't choose or they can't help yeah. it or whatever. Exactly. But when central to the plot is that they all move in front of a kid because they decide to, that makes us really question why Buzz is holding still. Mm-hmm. And again, that's a plot hole that has been pointed out a million times, and I really feel like it's quite a nitpick, actually. Yeah, it is. But they're there. There are some nitpicks. There's some nits to pick. Yeah. I don't think I have anything uh, deeper than that in terms of quality criticisms of this movie. Yeah. So aside from... The objective judgments. How much do you like this movie? I like it a lot. I haven't seen the first Toy Story in quite a while. And watching it again, I really enjoyed watching it again. I really uh, held up in my enjoyment quite a bit. Yep. How about you? Definitely same. I have seen Toy Story a lot of times. In fact, when our oldest daughter was about, like, four, three or four, no, younger, like, two, she was obsessed with Buzz and Woody. Yeah. And so we watched it a lot of times back then. And I love Toy Story. It's great. And it holds up watching it again, even though, yeah, I haven't watched it in a few years now. I was amazed at how, like, the jokes hold up, the humor is good, the plot is good. Like, it's a good movie. It's I really enjoy Toy Story. Yep. And I really and it I really enjoy Pixar. And yep. this is like a thing that you and I have been for as long as we've known each other, obsessed with like seeing all the Pixar movies. And I don't call it obsessed. <laughs> <laughs> We're obsessed with a lot of things. What's your current obsession? No, that's a whole different podcast. We um have seen like a lot of the Pixar movies in theaters mm-hmm. and very, it's very rare that we're disappointed. I can only think of maybe once that we were disappointed in a Pixar movie. Mm-hmm. It's a it's a quality, they make quality movies. They do. And Toy Story is the one that started it. And it holds up. And it holds And like up. Toy Story 2 and Toy Story 3 are both really good. And coming back and watching Toy Story 1, there's a worry maybe that like, does it hold up after where they go in the next movies? But yeah, it totally does. Mm-hmm. And the, yeah, my enjoyment of it and having decades of people pointing out nitpicks and plot holes doesn't bother my enjoyment of it one bit. Yep, same. Now, just to be clear, we did, we have talked about Toy Story 2 and Toy Story 2 of the three is my favorite still. I'm going to have to rewatch Toy Story 3 to make 
of Final Judgment. I think I like Toy Story 2 better than Toy Story 1 in terms of my enjoyment of it. So should we move into the way way, way, portion of our show? Let's. Where would you like to start on the way too seriously? Well, does this movie pass the Bechdel test? I don't think so. Nope. It does not. I can't think of any time when it would have. The female characters are Bo Peep, the human little sister, and the mom. Sid has a sister. Yeah. And Andy has a sister. Right. Andy's sister is a baby who doesn't have any dialogue because she's a baby. Mm Mm-hmm. Andy has a mom whose name is Mom. She has a presence in the movie, though. Mm-hmm. Sid has a mom who we kn- who is a voice off screen and does not have a presence in the movie. Yeah. And even if we are the most po- generous possible and consider Sid's mom a character, which she isn't, she doesn't ever talk to Sid's sister. Yep. Which is all just to say, like, maybe going through them like that isn't necessary, but just to point out how... Uh, how thin on the ground we are for female presence in this movie it is kind of and it is like it definitely makes the default male like for all of these toys yeah buzz and woody aside you know random dinosaur toy could definitely be female or like the goggles yeah exactly or the et- no the action sketch doesn't have a voice but what other characters have voices are like you know yeah in an rv uh doesn't have a voice, but ha- behaves like a dog, and it gets it's male pronouns. Male. Yeah, get male pronouns. So everyone is male, except Bo Peep, who exists. Why? Because Woody needs a love interest. Because Woody needs a love interest, and Andy needs a damsel to play yeah. with. Yeah, exactly. So she's immediately the damsel in distress that Woody rescues, and therefore she's Woody's love interest in a the most flat and uh, cliched way. Oh, thank you for rescuing me, mwah, 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 mwah. Yeah. And like she, her presence in the rest of the movie is like, I'm the one good loyal woman waiting for Woody back home. Yep. You know, exactly. Like, she has no character. No character, no personality. Yeah. And she's the best one in terms of like the most presence and development in the movie. Mm-hmm. And I think they recognize that and fix it in Toy Story 2 a little bit. A little with bit. With having Jesse. Yeah. A little bit. I like, yeah. I feel like uh, not in way too seriously terms, just in like, look at what an actor can do. Andy's mom, that is such a small part, but she kind of uh, is memorable. Yeah. And that's because Laurie Metcalf is a really good actor. Yeah, absolutely. And she can take that non-character and actually put some life into it. Yeah. That's not to say that that's a character that gets credit from from me. Yeah. So, I mean, not a lot of female characters. The one is Bo... Bo, I almost said Belle. The the one is Bo Peep, and she's as flat and cliched a character as we could possibly imagine. Absolutely. I can't even think of any way that we could make her more of a cliche Mm -hmm. is that i mean like is there anything else to say about 
sex and gender in this movie. No, I mean, it's very default uh, heteronormativity. You yeah. have, like, Mr. Potato Head pining after uh, Mrs. Potato Head. Right, have, that's like, the other thing. Yeah. And he gets it. Because, and he, yeah. Yeah. And then, I mean, our other kind of standard things that we come back to often on this show. This is an extremely white movie. Mm, yes, very much so. All the humans are white. I don't think there is a background character who isn't white. Uh, I don't think there's a person of color on the cast either. And that too. Yeah, all the yeah. voices, as far as I'm aware, certainly all the voices who I'm familiar with are white. Yep. So there's that. And I feel like we could go into it again. We have in the past, and I don't think we need to return to it. Maybe we'll come back to it eventually as something we haven't talked about in a while, but all the characters are white. Maybe we'll do it right now. Why does it matter? If Why does it matter if all the voice actors are white? We've talked about this on previous episodes, but in case you haven't heard those previous episodes, who cares if Rex the Dinosaur is voiced by a white actor. Wallace Shawn is great. Do you want to deny him a job? Why are we complaining about that? Why are we, Paul? (laughs) Because representation matters? Because representation matters because the unconscious and unexamined biases always uh, favor those who already have power and already have privilege. Yep. So if you don't think at all about that the race of a plastic dinosaur matters, Hollywood is very likely to always cast white people. And that uh, is not a coincidence. It's because of unconscious, usually sometimes conscious, but let's give them the benefit of the doubt, unconscious biases in favor of white as the standard normal person. Yeah. And Wallace Shawn is great, and I want him to be in movies all over the place. And I think that uh, he does a great job as Rex. And But I am confident that there is an actor of color who also would have been great and does not get a chance to be. Yeah, absolutely. So just the uh, extreme whiteness of this movie on every level. Everyone who made it, uh, that whose name we recognize... Everyone who made it whose name I recognize is white, both on screen and off. Yeah. And I, and I wanted to call out at the moment, there are people who will be like, well, you know, it was 1994 and somehow give people a pass because it was the past. No, you don't get a pass. You don't get to like, this is why we take things way too seriously on this show is we might enjoy this movie for other reasons, but you don't just get a pass. No. Just because it's the past. Past, past. No. No, very much not. It wasn't a different time. Nope, it wasn't. And let me say that for the record for all time. It was not, it was not a different time. I mean, in whatever different time you want to pick, there are always have been people who recognized their fellow humans as humans, and there always have been people who didn't. And it was always wrong not to. Yeah. And you don't ever get a pass. And I can tell you as someone who is uh, 
I think I've said this on the podcast even before, but as someone who is at this very moment working on an academic article on representations of race in the 14th century, it wasn't a different time. <laughs> yep, exactly. You can't say that, like, five years ago was a different time when 40, <laughs> 500 <laughs> years ago was a different time. Yeah. Did you just refer to 94 as five years ago? No, no. Okay. I, I mean, people say that about, like, five years ago. Yeah. They'll be like, oh, you know, it was 2008. We didn't know back then. That I was in a grad okay course once on, I was in a master's level course once. We were talking about some piece of literature, I don't even remember what, that was written in the 70s. And someone was like, well, I don't know, like, back in those days, did they know? But And you're like, did they know about feminism in the 70s? Like, <laughs> are you kidding me? <laughs> We're getting a little off track here. A little bit. We've gone a little ranty. Yeah. Maybe there's not a ton to take seriously. I don't know. I think it's part of why I'm allowing myself to go ranty is, in serious terms, I'm going to come back to, in serious terms, this movie... I have a few things to say, but little. Like, there's very few women, and they're cookie-cutter, and there's no people of color, and their only romantic relationship is as flat as can possibly be, and uh, mandatory or compulsory heterosexuality that we've talked about before. And I don't know that there's anything that new to, that I have to say about this movie. All right, let's, let's go on a different tangent and talk about Sid. What do you have to say about Sid? I have some things to say about Sid. Which is that um, this is kind of the poor kid next door. Yeah. He is clearly somewhat neglected because he's allowed to order um, firecrackers on, like, I was going to say on the internet, but probably not in 1995. Probably phone order, mail-in. <laughs> mail-in order. He's allowed to probably mail order firecrackers. That, Without that, parental supervision, that require parental supervision, he does Textually, not we see, do not put in the reach of children. Yeah. So, just, like, there is some amount of neglect, and we can call it neglect, when a kid has in their hands something that is dangerous and is labeled, don't allow children to have this. Yeah. There's, a bit of, there's a bit of coding of, like, Sid, your Pop-Tarts are ready, that, like, the kind of kid who has Pop-Tarts... Whose mom calls him for Pop Tarts and has a bowl of Fruit Loops just on the floor of his bedroom. Right. Is kind of code for poor white trash. Hmm. You know? Yeah. He just doesn't, he obviously doesn't have the kind of mom that Andy has. Yeah. And so then we have Sid, who, from the toys' perspective, from Buzz and Woody's perspective, he is a torturer. He ruins toys. He's terrible. Yada yada. But in reality, if you take a step back and look at this kid, he's actually got, like, I mean, he shouldn't have firecrackers. The explosives are the worrying. The explosives are worrying. But the creativity that he took a doll's head and these mechanical things and made this cool doll spider thing. Yeah, the doll spider is really cool. And turned, like, Barbie legs into, like, this yo-yo Barbie legs thing. And, like... The Barbie legs with the crank on top of it is yeah. my favorite. That thing's so awesome. Exactly. Like, if you actually step back and look at it, this kid is super creative. And despite having a neglectful home life. And so... And not that neglect. I mean, not that poor. He lives next to Andy. They have the same kind of, like, yeah, I'm, big house. Finish your rant and then I want to come back to class a bit. But... So, does Sid deserve to be horribly tortured? Because this is, like, 
traumatic. What these toys do to him, to like show them that they're alive, is really going to be traumatic to this kid. If and he doesn't, we'll uh, be watching you. And like, he's going to end up in a mental institution. Like he's going to be like, they really talk to me. The toys really talk to me. And people are, and like everyone else in his life is going to be like, Sadie, you're crazy for thinking the toys talk to you. So for the rest of Sid's life, he's going to either repress this memory to the point of not believing it anymore, or going to end up like in the madhouse. <laughs> I joke for the word madhouse in a and mental institution or in, or something. Under, and in care. Um, and the, there's, I think two different questions, right? That like, are the toys morally wrong for reacting like this? I think kind of no, because they, even though he doesn't know, like they're acting to protect their lives. And in fact, it w- would make a lot of sense for them to react like this more often. Is the movie cruel for punishing him in this way? Is the movie right for punishing him in this way? No. No. I don't think the toys are being cruel to him. I mean, they are a little bit. But I think the movie definitely is being. Yeah. If you follow the distinction. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it causes the issue of, yeah, our Ken toys talk in front of humans. Yeah, and it causes this plot hole. Yeah. I feel yeah. like they could have should have come up with a different way of getting out of Sid's house. Yeah, agreed. And it caused plot holes, like, forever. Like, for the rest of the series. You yeah. can talk in front of Sid. Why can't you talk whenever you're in danger? Mm-hmm. It's a mistake of an ending. Yeah, I agree. With yourself? <laughs> I think you said it first. <laughs> yes, that is also true. <laughs> I want yeah, so Sid, I think Sid could have had a really cool adult life, but I think they messed that up for him. I don't think the Sid that we see in this movie is having a healthy and happy adult life. Yeah. Hmm. I can, I can buy that. I want to talk a little bit. You talked about class in this movie and, uh, and Sid And there are some coding in this movie that I think you're right about. You kind of conflated, and I want to tease apart a little bit if I can. Um, His parents are in some, to some degree, neglectful. And there is a class issue. Those aren't the same thing. No, you're right. And you're right, though, that Pop-Tarts are, I didn't, really think of it that way but pop tarts are a classist code mm-hmm. um and all the broken toys are also kind of classist to code because a good uh an upper class parent even if they were neglectful would buy you new toys yeah exactly like when his sister is playing uh, her dollhouse with two dolls that playing the tea party with two dolls that don't have heads. Yeah. That is not, that is given to us so that we recognize that Sid breaks all toys, but it's also, there's classism. There's a class statement there because uh, affluent parents would buy the sister new toys all the time. Yeah, exactly. There's also, they are in the same, I mean, they live next door to Andy, so in, they're in some sense uh, comparable 
in terms of economic class to Andy, except Andy's moving out. And Andy is moving from a bedroom he shares with his sister to his own bedroom. And so they're moving on up. Yeah. Hmm, that's interesting. Because I think that the neglect, and neglect is a strong word. It's it is. It's only the explosives mean... that make me want to be comfortable with neglect as the word. And definitely, I don't think that, like, serving your kids Pop-Tarts makes you a neglectful parent no. at all. But serving your kids Pop-Tarts as if it's a healthy meal in that tone says something. Well, and it's movie shorthand. A real it's movie shorthand. A real person serving their kid pop tarts because their kid serves pop because their kid <laughs> likes pop tarts. Like go nuts. If you're making a movie and you have to serve the kid something and you land on pop tarts as the thing, it's because consciously or not, you're signifying something with that choice. Yeah. And what do pop tarts signify? They're not healthy and they're cheap and they're uh, easy. Yeah. So it signifies a parent like if you have. Sid, your bacon and eggs are ready. Well, that's mom who cares about her kid and has made him something and herself by hand and it's healthy and it's not that healthy really, but it signifies like hearty and it signifies uh, prosperity, but also care. And Pop-Tarts signify none of those things. So that's a choice. Whether it was intended to signify that or not, it does. Yeah. I just don't want any parents listening to this who, like, give their kids Pop-Tarts be like, I'm not neglectful. And, like, of course you're not. Yeah. So it's not about what it really means. It's about what it signifies in fiction. And a bowl of cereal on the ground in his room. That also signifies... Cereal also signifies, like, because it's easy, uh, it signifies parents that don't... uh, aren't as actively caring for their kids. Taking Andy out for pizza also is easy, but it's out to, like, the most exciting pizza place in the world. So it signifies uh, affluence in some way. Which Sid is also there, but he's gone by himself. Exactly. <laughs> All very interesting. And the movie is kind of, you. I said you conflated it, but the movie is kind of conflating parents that don't watch their kids well enough and parents that don't spend money on their kids. Yeah. I don't think this is a too seriously, but can we side note for a sec to talk about this pizza place and how it looks like the coolest place ever? I know, I want to go there. How come there's not one of those in my town? I know. There are, like, it's basically like a Chuck E. Cheese kind of situation, isn't it? Is that what Chuck E. Cheese is like? I've never been to one. Yeah, there's, like, you know. Where I grew up, there was a place called Ruckers and Fuddruckers that had, uh, like, a video game arcade slash restaurant slash mini golf. That's really cool. Thing. And it was it was really cool. And I'm sad that I don't live in a town that has that for my kids. Yeah, we don't have anything have, like that here. We have sucky things in this town. We don't have any, like, fancy, fun <laughs> things to take our kids to. Let's leave this place never to return. <laughs> Sounds good to me. All right. Because probably people listening are like, yeah, that Pizza Planet is okay. There's, yeah, I know. there's blah, blah that's exactly like that. And I'm like, we don't have blah, blah. <laughs> yeah. True. Have we said all we need to say about Toy Story? Possibly. Is it good? Is it seriously good? It's good. Yep. It's really good. I think. Yeah. Definitely Def- really good. Is it seriously good? 
Yeah-ish. Uh, I don't know. Is it? What's seriously good about it? Hmm, good point. Seriously medium? Like, it's not seriously bad. Like, there's nothing actually, like, really objectionable in it the way there has been in other movies. Yeah. But there's nothing, there's definitely nothing good. It's the standard uh, kind of badness of erasure. Yes, of, of, exactly. Uh, thoughtless badness. Yeah. Like, they're not actively saying anything racist. Mm-hmm. They just haven't given even the first thought about race and are therefore reinforcing uh, white-dominated culture. Absolutely. They, they're saying a few sexist things. Mm-hmm. We didn't talk about Molly and her tea party because it's such a minor thing, but, like, there's a sense that I believe we talked about in Toy Story 2 of, like, it's humiliating for buzz to be in a tea party because to be played with by a girl is humiliating for a boy toy yeah uh so i don't think it's i think it's worse than neutral on gender yes absolutely yeah like you said it's this most it's mostly erasure and thoughtlessness yeah i'm gonna i'm gonna argue for medium bad in terms of, which yeah. makes me sad because I like this movie so much. But like, is there anything that you want to, could you persuade me to move no. it from medium bad up? No, I don't think I could. I don't think it's bad because it's not actively say like, it's not the great mouse detective. <laughs> <laughs> True. But like, it's. Medium bad. Yeah. It's, it's good, it's, but seriously medium bad. Yeah, I agree. Okay. Well, that was interesting. If you want to disagree, if you want to point out something that you think we missed that makes this a seriously good movie, I'm all ears. Mm-hmm. You can contact us on Twitter at WTScast. You can email us at waytoseriouslycast at gmail.com. You can find us on all the social media or socialmeds, as the cool kids say. What? No one says that. Find us on, ta- tag us up on the socialmeds. Uh, Stop trying to make that happen. It's not happening. And that's about all there is to say. So uh, You could support us. Oh, yeah. Oh, on definitely. If you love what we do and want more of it, and if you want to hear some fun extra trivia bonuses from... For WTS, you can support us on Patreon, patreon.com slash clockworkscast, where as little as a dollar a month can get you fun bonus trivia episodes, including on this one. And I mentioned in passing, like I made a little joke about what's our current obsession. Oh, haha, that's a different podcast. We have an irregularly updated extra podcast where we just talk about something that we're obsessed with, and that's for patrons, and you could get access to that if you support us on Patreon, and... I think it's pretty fun to listen to. I listen to it myself. And we're in the middle. We met a Patreon goal recently, uh, which, by the way, thank you so very much to everyone who supports us. But our next goal is related to Way Too Seriously specifically, and it is that once we meet our next goal, we will start releasing once a month a Way Too Seriously about a children's book. That will not be Patreon exclusive. That'll be released for everyone. And if you want to make that happen, you can help. All right. I've been Jan Moffat. I've been Paul Moffat. And the 
Toys are alive. What? Uh, I just, I don't know. I was going to say it like I was scared of toys being alive, but I just, my heart wasn't in And this entire time I've been playing with a tiny kitty, my wish was alive. You got up in the middle of watching this movie and went and got a childhood toy that you then sat with and snuggled. And then our daughter got up and went and got her infant toy and sat and snuggled it. And then our other daughter didn't care. <laughs> I will always get my childhood toy to watch Toy Story because I feel guilty. Aww.